take a deep breath in and out. Feel that breath filling your lungs. Feel that breath pushing out of your mouth. It's been said that Jewish rabbis associated the covenant name of God, that's Yahweh, with breath. We just sang a song with the name Yahweh in it, the personal name of God. And it's been said, there's this legend around the Jewish rabbis saying that Yahweh is associated with breath. And the idea is that when the name is pronounced, it's the sound of breathing. So the two syllables of the name correspond with the intake and outtake of a single breath. So it, it goes like this. When you inhale, it sounds like yah. And when you exhale, it sounds like way. Thus, with every breath we take, we're speaking God's name. He breathed into us humans the breath of life, and we still retain his breath. So uh, with this line of thinking, a baby's first cry speaks the name of God. A deep sigh calls his name. A groan or a gasp that is too heavy is speaking the name of God. Even an unbeliever speaks God's name, unaware that their very breath is giving constant acknowledgement to their creator. And likewise, when a person leaves this earth with their last breath, when God's breath, his name, is no longer filling their lungs, it's, it's the end. So being alive means that we're constantly speaking his name. Now, this is an interesting thought, this idea that every breath forms the name of Yahweh. It's not, it's not in the Bible. It's not a scriptural idea. It's, it's part of Jewish mysticism. But it's true that life is a gift from God. That the breath of life that fills your lungs and gives you life is a gift from God. City life in the last week or so, we had a, one of the kids in our church who was on a breathing tube. Serious things. He, he's, doing, he's doing better, thankfully. But those sorts of things make you consider the preciousness of life the sanctity of life, how quickly life can pass. Rita Anderson, a longtime city lifer, an elderly lady, passed away. She, she hasn't been around much the last couple of years due to her health problems, but many of you would know her. But she passed away recently, and a few of us city lifers were at her celebration of life service yesterday. And something that always amazes me whenever I am at some sort of funeral or memorial service is when, when I see a body that is absent of breath, I'm so struck with, what is the difference between this body and mine? My body has breath, this body doesn't. The, the breath of God is this miracle of life. The title of our series today is God breathed. God breathed. What does that phrase bring to mind for you? For me, it brings to mind three different things in Scripture about the breath of God. Here's the meaning of God breathed. Number one, it reminds us that God's breath of life fills our lungs. Genesis 2-7 says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
and the man became a living being. This little verse right here is the miracle of creation right here. God had formed the body out of the clay, out of the dust of the earth, and God divinely breathes his breath into this clay form, and he becomes a living soul. It's amazing. It is amazing. And God, for his, in his divine wisdom, has designed that each of you sitting here on this January 15, 2023, have life in your lungs, breath in your lungs. He has created and designed you and intended that you would be alive and breathing on this day. It is his will for you to have life right now. In Psalm 33, 6, it continues just to describe the creation moment. And it says in that verse, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. The stars came into the sky as God breathed them into existence. This is our creator God. He speaks and the world is made. He speaks and there is life. He breathes and his breath enlivens his creation. This is the miracle of life. God's breath of life fills your lungs and makes you human. The second thing that God breathed means to me is this. Letter B, the breath of God breathed out scripture. The breath of God made scripture happen. Read this passage out loud with me in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This passage tells us that scripture, the Bible as we have it, the scripture was breathed out by God. We call the Bible God's word, right? It's literally God's word. It is the word that has come from him to us. Now, God used human authors to put the Bible together, but 2 Peter describes a little bit about how that happened. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So even though there are multiple authors in the Bible, in fact, there were 66, there are 66 books in the Bible, right? And there are multiple authors. There is ultimately one author behind all of the human authors. This is the word of God come to us through his people. The breath of God carried along the human writers. They were just instruments to reveal the breathed out words of God. Now this is pretty incredible because the Bible was written over a period of, of, of hundreds and hundreds of years. The Bible was written in multiple languages. The Bible was written by multiple authors and it still has one consistent message. We have prophecies in the Old Testament that 400 years later were fulfilled. Prophecies in the Old Testament that 700 years later were fulfilled in the New Testament. We have things that line up. We have a family tree that persisted through the whole biblical story despite all, against all odds. We have a consistent message of the Bible that is just absolutely incredible when you put all the pieces together. It clearly 
is divinely inspired. And it is the breath of God that gives us his word. So the breath of God gives us life. The breath of God breathes out scripture. And the third thing that this, this phrase means to me is letter C, the Holy Spirit is the breath of God in us. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which means wind, spirit, breath. The Holy Spirit is a person, one of the persons of the Trinity, but is named the wind, the spirit, the breath. And the Holy Spirit is the breath of God in us. In John chapter 20, after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus comes to his disciples and he says in verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit comes to us, this breath of God, to enliven us and recreate us. The Holy Spirit is given us to do lots of things. In fact, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit is called our helper or our comforter because the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit comforts us in our trouble. The Holy Spirit was also given to us to recreate us and to make us new. When, when we are called to live this new life in Christ, Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to forgive you your sins, and then you figure out how to be a good person. He says, I'm going to forgive you your sins by my Holy Spirit, and my Holy Spirit is going to empower you and enable you to be the new creation I've called you into. The Holy Spirit also gives us power. It is the Holy Spirit that gives you power over the lusts of the flesh. It is the Holy Spirit that gives you power to resist temptation. It is the Holy Spirit who whispers to you and says, no, pause. It is the Holy Spirit that whispers to you and says, go this way. It is the Holy Spirit that gives you power over the enemy's evil power in this world. The scripture says the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. He is crushing the enemy underneath our feet as his spirit-filled servants who are engaged in mission with God. The Holy Spirit also purifies us and cleanses us. The Holy Spirit makes us able to deal with our baggage from the past, to deal with our reputations, to deal with our history. The Holy Spirit says, I've got that. The Holy Spirit makes us new and cleanses us and purifies us from all unrighteousness. The Holy Spirit has been given to us, Christians, If you are a believer in Jesus and you're trusting him for your salvation, the Holy Spirit has been given to you. He is available to you. The breath of God gave life to your body. God created you. The breath of God gave you the word of God in the scripture. And the breath of God is this Holy Spirit in you. And today I want to focus on scripture and how the breath of God connects with our life and the Holy Spirit, especially through scripture. The church today, 
Christians today is in a serious state. I'd say the American church is in a, in a very particularly serious state. Our problem is that we are increasingly scriptureless and scripture light. We are living in a world in which Christianity is deteriorating. There are fewer and fewer Christians. If you look at the statistics all over, people are leaving churches People are le in America. People are leaving Christianity in America. The church is flourishing in the southern hemisphere and other parts of the world. But when it comes to the American church, we are not doing well. People are leaving faith. People are wandering away from faith. People are, are walking away from church community. And the state of the American Christian church is of significant concern. And when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about them over there, the church. I'm talking about us, the church. We hear a lot of people commenting about, oh, the church this, the church that. I just want to let you know, you are the church. So just be aware of that. And let's be mindful. And now if you need to talk about yourself, you go ahead and talk about yourself. But you are the church. That is who we are. Don't be deceived. We are in difficult times. And I believe we are moving towards seeing Christ Christians becoming much more of a remnant in our society than what we've had before. And what this goi is going to mean, I think, is that I think it will purify some of the people who are, who are um, not fully committed. I think it's going to purify them. And I think it's going to deepen and cause, us to be, uh, cause those who are, are faithful to be deeper in their faith. But it will be a smaller group. I, I think that's the direction we're going. We are in a challenging situation, and you need to be prepared. And I would say that one of the reasons this is a thing is we are increasingly scriptureless, and we are increasingly scripture light. Now, when I was a kid, to be a Christian, at least in the, in the world that I was in, meant that you went to church a lot. So I had Sunday school on Sunday morning. I had, I had worship uh, Sunday morning. I had Sunday night service. And then I had Wednesday night service. Now today, City Life does what a lot of churches do. We've got Sunday morning. And then if you're, like, really committed, maybe you come to a life group, like, for some of the time of the year. We just aren't around scripture in the same way. And, and some of you are, are saying, well, I, my scripture is, I, I get this here, if, if all of your scripture is happening on half an hour on Sunday morning, that's not enough scripture. You need more in your life. You need to be in the word. You need to be in Christian community. You need to be with people talking about scripture. Scripture is God's breath and he designed us to be Bible-shaped people. We have the riches of his word before us, abundantly available. So here we are in our January series. Some of you may remember last year we did a series called Prayer Lab. I really can't believe this was a year ago. I feel like it just happened. But um, yeah, some of you might remember. Remember the whole prayer lab deal? I looked awesome in my like, chemistry coat. And um, we, we talked about the necessity of entering into the lab and experimenting. Saying it's not just about knowledge. I talked about chemistry and how in, in my chemistry class we did all the math and we never did experiments. Like we never had any fun. And, and how in prayer, a lot of times we, we do all the mental work and like we say all the words, but we miss the, the experience of it. 
We miss the connection with the Holy Spirit. What we're talking about this year with scripture, with this God-breathed scripture, is basically the same idea. It's just talking about it from the perspective of, of scripture. Let's not just read scripture for information. Let's read scripture for transformation. So the title of today's message is Bible-shaped, reading scripture in the company of the Holy Spirit. Can we read the Bible in the company of the living, breathing Holy Spirit? Now, there are several purposes of of reading scripture. All of them are good. None of them is is better than the other. All of them are are great and have their place. But I just kind of want to flesh this out. There are five purposes in reading scripture. The first is information. Sometimes we read scripture to learn things, to study, to understand I've been reading the Bible for a long time, and when I started reading it as a kid, I was just curious, what's in the Bible? What's it talking about? What are those prophets talking about? I wanted to know what the whole thing said, even the boring and the confusing parts. When I got into my early 20s, I discovered, even though I knew all the stories of the Bible, I I discovered a whole other layer of biblical study and learning about the geography of where things took place and learning about prophetic fulfillments and cultural backgrounds. There's so much to learn. Even now when I'm, when I'm working on a sermon, I, I get such a thrill every week when I open up a new passage and I, for the first time I, when I just pull up that new document on my computer and I put that scripture passage in there and I break it up into my uh, study chart and I start to just work on it, oh, I just get excited every time. It's always fun. I love learning. Sometimes we read the Bible for, in, for information. Second, sometimes we read the Bible for application. How do I live? What should I do? I remember, I remember uh, having this desire when I, was, when I was a teenager. I was reading the Bible a lot at that point. I knew a lot of the Bible stories, but I really wanted to learn, how do I live for God? How do I live in a way that God wants me to live? How do I live in a way that honors him in dating? How do I live in a way that honors him with my attitude? How do I honor him in a way with my priorities? And, and you've, you've been there too, where you have this hunger to live a godly life. Like, what does it mean to really live for God? How, how should I live when, when I break up with my boyfriend? How should, I, how should I live when I'm struggling with forgiveness or unforgiveness and, and resentment? What, what, how should I live if I'm struggling with swearing, my language? So, so there's this application. When I was a teenager, I loved the book of James because it's all about how to live. And, and whatever, what, what's that verse? Um, any, whatever good you know you need to do, if you don't do it, then you're sinning. So J- James is all about how to live. So sometimes we read the Bible for application. Sometimes, third, we read the Bible for inspiration. What is, what is the direction of my life? What is my significance? What should I do with my life? And we read the Bible to to get a big picture of who I am and why I'm here. What's the meaning of life? What is God's plan for me? Fourth, we read the Bible for transformation. We read the Bible to change us. And this, it's when you read the Bible for transformation, it's here that you have this deeper realization that I can't change me. I need... God's help. There are some things in my life that I've tried to change and I haven't been able to do it. I need supernatural, a supernatural download from God to transform me and make me into a different person because I can't do it on my own. This is a dependency, a beautiful dependency on the Holy Spirit 
to supernaturally change you and form you, make you into something better than you could have ever imagined, and free you from your bondage. This is a beautiful thing that scripture does. It, it can transform us, and the person who is sensitive to the Holy Spirit will be able to experience this transformation. So, so there's, there's reading for information, application, inspiration, transformation, and then fifth, there's also reading for connection. And this is a different kind of reading. This is reading the Bible to try to have a personal connection with God. Th this personal connection looks like it, it's, it's that feeling, it's, it's a feeling that you get of God knows me, God sees me, and I love him too. And yes, I'm talking about feelings because feelings are part of our spiritual formation. Feelings are part of our faith journey. And I'm talking about reading the scripture for this, this sense of connection with God. That sense of God actually really loves me. Now, you all know God loves you. You're, you know, you've been hearing forever that God loves you. God loves me this, God loves me that. You know that God loves you. But I, I mean like that moment when you like, no, you know God loves you that moment. And scripture can do that. That like, you're, you're reading along and all of a sudden there's this zap personal moment of, whoo, it's me and God right here and wow, God sees me and knows me. That's what I'm talking about. Reading the Bible for, for connection with God, that, that deep sense of purpose and identity. That, that deep call to holiness. Uh, you, you think you're doing fine, and then all of a sudden, God's right there, and it's like, oh, God, you've called me to more, and it's good. God wants connection with you, and the scripture can do this because it is the word of God that is living and active in you. My hope is that we will increasingly read scripture in the company of the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of you know a lot about the Bible. For one thing, we live in West Michigan. And in West Michigan, there are a lot of people who've been to Christian school. There are a lot of people who've been raised in the church. There are a lot of people who've been through catechism. You know a lot. You know a lot. Also, there are a lot of you here in our community who have spent some time living at, uh, at Mel Trotter or staying at Guiding Light or, um, some of the, or Salvation Army or some of the other, other places, other shelters and things like that. And often, what do you have to do before you get food? You go to chapel. I mean, some of you go to way more church than any of the rest of us do. You get a lot of Bible. You've heard a lot of salvation. You've heard a lot of information. We've had a lot of opportunities to learn some stuff, right? You know a lot. But I don't want just that for us. I don't want just, it's good, but I don't want just that. Let's not stop there. I want you to connect with the Holy Spirit. I want you to be transformed. I want you to know the presence of God for real in your life. So there are two ways that scripture can change your life. Two ways to let scripture change your life. Letter A, I want to challenge you to read scripture in the company of the Holy Spirit. That means when you open up your Bibles, 
You sit down to read your Bible, and you say, okay, Holy Spirit, here I am. You are here too. Now, I'm operating under the premise that Scripture should change us and that we should be corrected when we read Scripture, that, that we should be changed when we read Scripture. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.14 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now read this next part out loud with me, please. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Are you teachable? Or when scripture, or you're reading the Bible and some, or you hear a Bible thing in church and something rubs you the wrong way, do you say, oh, I don't like that one. I disagree with that. You don't get to disagree with the Bible. It's sorry. It's just how it is. You don't get to disagree. You cannot like something. You can wrestle with something. You can say, I don't understand it. You don't get to say it's wrong. That's not your role. It's way above your pay grade. Are you teachable? It's, it says the scripture is, is good for rebuking. Are you rebukable? If the Bible rebukes you and there's something in there and, and it says you shouldn't do that and you're like, I do that, do you say, okay, Scripture, I submit to you? Or do you say, huh, going to gloss over that one. Let's move on to the next verse. Are you rebukable? Are you correctable? If you're on the wrong path, will you let Scripture correct you? Or will you say, actually, I know better. Or actually, I'm not really in the wrong because then you come up with some elaborate excuse. Are you correctable? How humble are you? Are you trainable? Can you be taught? Can you be trained into new ways? Oh, we like to say that we are all of these things. And yet when the scripture is in our faces, so often we are very good at just moving right along and not letting the scripture get into our hearts. Reading scripture should convict you and bother you. If you, every time you read the Bible, you think, oh, that was just so great. I'm this, I just love this Bible. It's so great. If that's you all the time, you are missing something because scripture is going to get in your face. Scripture is going to bother you. It is going to confront you. It is going to rebuke you. And I hope that in God's grace, you will have the ability to recognize that and to stop and repent. Reading scripture should bother you, and it should challenge you to something different. Scripture should change us. The, the second way that we can read scripture in the company of the Spirit is exposure. Basically, you can't be affected by scripture if you don't have it in your life. If all, like I said a moment ago, if all you have is a little bit of this half-hour sermon on Sunday, it's not enough Bible. It's just not enough for you to be changed by the word of God. If all you have is a little bit of Bible on Sunday, on the Sundays that you come, and then all you have is maybe once in a while you open up your Bible and kind of randomly read something, that is not enough scripture. You cannot be scripture-shaped people if you are not in the scripture. You have to have exposure. You have to be exposed to the word of God. Put yourself in a position to be exposed to God's word. This is on you. This is your responsibility. I can't make you do it. No one else can make you do it. It is on you to put yourself in a position where you can be exposed to God's word. 
do it personally, do it in a group, do both. It is your job to make sure you get exposed to the word of God. The third thing is pay attention to God's presence with you in the moment. Now, this could be a whole sermon in and of itself, and it's just going to be a quick point that I say. We'll, we'll practice this more on the day alone with God. But the whole key to all of this is when you're reading the Bible, to, to remember you've got you, you've got the Bible, but it's not just you and the Bible, it's you and the Bible and the Holy Spirit. And so as you read, it's you and the Bible and the Holy Spirit, and, and the, these three things are all interacting here. So, so pay attention to God's presence with you in the moment. Uh, so often, and, and none of us do this perfectly. I mean, so often I'm, I'm having my devotions in the morning, and I'm like, all right, I'm tired. I'm opening up my Bible. I'm going to read my verse. And, and, uh, and now I have a little, those of you who've been around a while, you know what I do in the morning to kind of get myself getting going and get focused and, and get my brain where it needs to go. But it's so easy otherwise to just start reading and to not even remember the Holy Spirit there with you. The fourth thing is continually direct yourself to God's presence through your reading. Do it over and over again. Our minds wander. Anybody? Squirrels? Yes, our minds wander, and you just pull yourself back. You pull yourself back, and you try again. You refocus. Oh, yes, Holy Spirit. Oh, yes, you're here too. We're going to specifically train toward this in the day alone with God uh, in multiple areas. We will be doing the Lectio Divina, which is a prayerful, sacred reading of Scripture in which we practice listening to the Scripture together. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful, fun practice. Every year I'm amazed at how we all read the same scripture and people come up with different things. It's, it's amazing how God's spirit speaks to us. God has given scripture to us and he's given his Holy Spirit to us. And he wants us to read scripture in the company of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's the first way to let scripture change your life. The second is this. Number one, read scripture in the company of the Holy Spirit. Number two, speak scripture to each other. That's what I mean. I mean, say Bible verses to each other. Have a Bible mouth. <laughs> Talk to each other about scripture. Uh, Deuteronomy eleven eighteen gives us, gives us a little picture of this. Fix these words of mine in your heart and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your forefathers, as many as the days of the that the heavens are above the earth. We speak scripture to each other. Now, this can go poorly or it can go well. I'm not talking about like preaching at people. I, I'll never forget one time I was in, uh, I was in Chicago and I was on the subway there and uh, somebody decided that they were going to witness to the masses, and so I, I was riding the subway, and somebody gets on the subway, and this woman just starts muttering Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse, which, you know, like, wasn't a super effective way to win me over. Like, I'm even a Christian, and I don't like it, but uh, so, like, th there's a time and a place to do things correctly, right? But what if we tried? What if we tried to speak scripture to each other? For example, somebody says to you, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just really scared about this. I'm nervous about this. What, what if we can say in return, hey, friend, you know, just remember, the Bible says that Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Just remember, he's with you. He's with you. 
Or, or someone says, you know, I'm just struggling because I really want this relationship, or I really want this job. I really want this thing with, with kids. I really want some, I really need some more money. And what if we could speak scripture to that situation? Instead of just saying, oh, you've got this, you know, hang in there. What if we could speak scripture and say, you know, that reminds me of, of the, the verse that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I don't know how God's going to work that out for you. But I believe that delighting yourself in the Lord is not going to lead you astray. What, what if we're talking with someone and they're talking, they're, you know, your friends, and so like they're telling you about their sin that they love. You know, they love like the sleeping around thing. They love this addiction thing. They love this gluttony thing. They love this shopping addiction, whatever it is. And do we say, oh, you know, I love you anyway, which, I mean, that's not untrue. But is there ever, but is there ever a time to just not say, hey, you do you, whatever, and instead speak scripture and say, you know, the... You're my, you're my sister in Christ. You're my brother in Christ. And, and the scripture says, be holy because I am holy. I mean, I think Jesus might be calling you to something a little different. Sometimes someone will say to you, hey, I'm, I'm too insecure. I'm insecure about this thing or that thing. And, and maybe we can speak a word of encouragement from the Lord where the scripture says, hey, we're, we're children of God. First, Second Timothy says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Okay, do you see what happens when we get, begin to speak scripture to each other? We disciple each other into the way of Jesus. We don't just give comfort and encouragement like the world gives. We, get, we are spiritual brothers and sisters speaking, repeating the words of God to people in love and in care and in kindness. And out of that faithfulness, change can happen. I'm not talking about being a super spiritual know-it-all. I'm talking about being a disciple of Jesus. This is what we do. My mom was really great. She's still really great at doing this. I, I was blessed to have a mom who discipled me at home. And I remember lots of times when uh, I was trying to make a decision about something to do, like what sport to be in or just some decision about something. And she would pretty consistently say, remember the verse, Christy, trust in the Lord with all your heart. If you know it, say it with me. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. She's saying, seek him. Trust him. Often, when something was coming up and there was a problem, my, uh, she, she would quote, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. If you do this, you will experience a peace that is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. Do you see how I have this memorized? It's not because I sat and studied it one day. It's because my mother quoted it all the time and I learned it. And I learned to apply it. And, he, and when I, I remember being in high school and having a friend, it was in some PE class, and she was talking about something she was worried about. And I knew she was a Christian, and she knew I was a Christian. And I said, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs, and don't forget to thank him for his answers. And I, I told her all that, and she said, oh, that's so beautiful. Is, is that a poem? I said, no, it's in the Bible. Like, this is, this is God's word to you. My mother also believed that scripture was not only good for encouraging, but she also believed that scripture was useful for correcting. So when I was six years old and I had a 
problem with lying, she told me, Satan is the father of lies. And it did help to correct me. She also believed that scripture was helpful for instructing. And so uh, when we were navigating fights in the family, fights among the siblings, fights among the sisters, whatever, she, she would frequently remind us of the verse in Ephesians that said, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now, as I've grown up in my life, there have been times when, when sometimes you can't just always deal with things fast. Sometimes you've got to kind of like sleep on it so that you can be a, a good human being and have a good conversation the next day. But, but the point of the passage is don't hold on to the anger. Deal with it. Address it. De- le- don't let the anger get a foothold. Don't let the devil get a foothold on your anger. Boy, what a great thing for a parent to teach their kid to forgive fast. That's a big deal. We all need to be shaped in that way. And finally, I remember as a young adult wrestling with some questions of faith and who Jesus was and is my faith really mine or am I just believing it because, it was because my parents told me I had to and, and just sorting through all those normal questions that everybody deals with at some point in their life. And, and I remember having that conversation with my mom and she brought up a passage in Jeremiah 29 where the Lord says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You city lifers have heard me say that verse many times because it's part of my vocabulary. It's part of how I was discipled and now I'm discipling you that way. And and the scripture is, is very much, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Church, we need to disciple each other. We need to speak scripture to each other. We need to listen to scripture in the presence of the Holy Spirit and be changed. And then we need to speak scripture to each other. These are ways that the scripture is the living and breathing breath of God in us. And I'm wondering if you can develop a Bible mouth. I'm wondering if you can help each other become Bible-shaped. It will mean that your conversations have to change a little bit. It will mean you'll have to deal with that little bit of fear that pops up, like, oh, I'm going to talk about something spiritual now. You just got to get over that. You're a Christian. Live into that. Be brave. Grow up. Don't thump the Bible over people's heads, but say, hey, the word of God might encourage you here. Can we do this? Can we grow up? Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I love this celebration more and more every year. I I find myself increasingly amazed at the legacy of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I wanted to specifically bring him up, not, not just because of the day tomorrow, but because I think he is an excellent example of both reading scripture in the company of the Holy Spirit and speaking scripture to others. Let me just flesh out how we see this. The Bible was incredibly important to him. Remember, he is Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., just not Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Reverend Dr. The Bible is very important to him. His vision of racial justice was deeply rooted in the word of God. It was scripture that led him to nonviolence. It wasn't just some ideology or the latest social justice thing that was out there. It was scripture. As he read scripture, he's like, the Bible leads me toward nonviolence. 
He often pointed out to people that it was the Sermon on the Mount that inspired the way that he did things, the, the dignified social action of the civil rights. He said, it's, it's from the Sermon on the Mount. He, he often looked at the suffering of Jesus as the model for what suffering might need to look for. He actually trained his team to practice suffering faithfully so they would be prepared for persecution, but also because in Scripture he saw Scripture saying, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. So he said, we better get ready. He was grounded, rooted, the foundation was scripture. In the I Have a Dream speech, then we see the fruit of him listening to the Holy Spirit with scripture. We see the fruit of that, and then he begins speaking scripture to other people. He spoke scripture in his I Have a Dream speech to all those people out there. He echoed the prophet Isaiah. He sa- Isaiah said, I, uh, Martin Luther King said, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. He's not just bringing in a Bible reference that he can, I don't know, like throw the Bible in there. He's bringing it in there because the Bible has affected his vision for the, God's kingdom. And he says it is part of God's kingdom that these things will happen, that the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and this will be good. He, he echoed the words of the prophet Micah or he, when he said he hopes that one day all persons elected to public office will do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with their God. He had a hope for an end to war. This was rooted in Isaiah's vision that people would beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. The biblical promise of peace on earth and goodwill toward all were his antidote to despair. He was committed to scripture as his foundation, and then he spoke it to the whole world in his I Have a Dream speech. This is an example of a person who listened to the scripture in the company of the Holy Spirit and then spoke scripture to others. Why do we do this? Why do we need this? This is the way to life. This is the way to life. Proverbs 4.20 says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them in your heart, for they are life to those who find them. They are health to a man's whole body. Deuteronomy 4.40 says, Keep his decrees and commands, so that it may go well with you. You want to have life. The breath of God is your life. The breath of God is your life. He has breathed life into your human body. He has breathed out his word that gives you life. He has breathed out his Holy Spirit so we can have life in his spirit. And when we read the Bible, We meet the breath of God. Come on up, Will. The Holy Spirit, church. Sometimes we treat the Holy Spirit like, well, maybe, maybe like next month, if I'm lucky, I can get a little piece of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe if I show up, you know, at the dog day, you know, if I can, if I get lucky, I'll get a little Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Jesus, you have been given the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is not rare. It is not scant. 
It is abundant. He is abundant. There is much of him. He is a person of the Trinity. We're not lacking access to the Holy Spirit. What we lack is paying attention. What we lack is recognizing, identifying the work of the Holy Spirit. What we lack is paying attention and giving time to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's here. The Holy Spirit is abundant and present and flowing, and there is a beautiful and surprising initiative in the Holy Spirit. Mystery, beauty, availability of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, available to you. And my challenge for all of us today is can we grow here? Can you read this? Can you, can you focus on reading the scripture? Which means you're going to have to actually read the scripture and be present to the Holy Spirit. And can we start speaking scripture to each other? I, I want that so much for our community. I want us to get beyond the knowledge that we have, and many of you know a lot, to get out of just the head knowledge and into the heart experience of this God who has come to change the world. He's come. He's available to you. He's given you his word. Can you immerse yourself in it and find this life, this abundant life that he has for you? And finally, I want to challenge you to come to one of the dog days. I want you to come. I understand the resistance. I want you to give it some space and see how God will move in you there. And so, Lord Jesus, the living word, you have given us yourself, you've given us your word, you have breathed life into us. Jesus, breathe depth, breathe commitment, bring, breathe conviction, breathe challenge. Thank you for the gift of your word that you have so abundantly made available to us. And I pray for your transformation to happen in this church. And I pray, Jesus, that we will connect with you in deeper ways than we ever have before and that this body of believers will become even more deeply committed to your word. I pray that we will know it, obey it, be challenged by it, adjust to it, align to it. And I pray that your spirit will be able to inhabit us and to accomplish everything that you want for your kingdom here in this space. In your name we pray. Amen.